hello and welcome to episode 95 of the 1099 for the week of June 5th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the co-founder and big boss at Giant Bomb and someone who knows more about obscure games and consoles than almost anyone on the internet, Jeff Kurtzman. Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. Hey, no problem. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we talked about this a little bit off air, but I mean, I've had, I've had Dan, Alex, and Vinny on the podcast, so I thought it was only fair to finally get someone from Giant Bomb West to represent because, you know, that's where the whole site started. Exactly. Uh, this It's a West Coast thing. I don't know what those guys <laughs> are doing out there uh, it's you against the world right now it's you against right. those three so this west coast games journalism is 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 the only true games journalism <laughs> uh and it sounds crazy when i think about giant bomb launched almost 10 years ago if that's right was it 2008 yeah. when it first happened yeah yeah it was 08 yeah bizarre i mean at this point i've likely watched you play more video games on the internet than i've maybe played during that span which makes me sound like a crazy person when i say that out loud but most of giant bomb at this point is video uh but yeah. as someone like you who's written thousands of reviews and did so many preview events and traditional games coverage in the past is it at all surreal for you at this point to spend the majority of your time talking behind a mic about games rather than doing that traditional coverage that you kind of grew up in a way doing yeah well it's it's weird you know when, when we when i so i started at GameSpot in 1996 uh and we were working on the launch of a separate parallel site that would be devoted to console game coverage because at the time GameSpot was just pc so we were launching video game spot mm. and one of our goals was to have video of every single game that we were covering and so so even then you know and it, it was you know it was real video it was the horrible codex and just the the video looked like trash but you know like like even then you know we, we kind of knew that that video i mean that's that's the whole thing is they're video games you can look at screenshots but like you, you really need to see them in motion um so we knew then that you know we that that, that was going to kind of be the thing but the tech wasn't really there yet and but but at the same time like the job was very much a traditional kind of writing gig you know yeah. you, you were writing reviews you were writing news you're writing you know preview coverage all that sort of stuff like our our primary output was was always text for years but you know a few years in we started doing video reviews and 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 you know it was kind of the first major on camera effort from us and and I really wanted to get into podcasting. Um, once that kind of started up, I was like, man, that's, you know, cause I, I had done a, like a, a little, little bit of radio prior to, um, joining GameSpot. So, you know, I, I kind of had done a little bit of that. So, um, so I wanted to get in on that. We started the, gosh, uh, we started the hotspot and I want to say it was 2004 or five yeah. or something like that. Um, and, and so it kind of, became a separate thing you know GameSpot had been a very kind of uh, a monolithic presence uh, where you didn't really know a lot about the people behind it uh, and podcasting was kind of the first thing that, that I think really drew out people's personalities in a way that you know was actually kind of countered to how we thought about GameSpot because then you suddenly had individuals speaking for themselves with their opinions on games instead of representing like the 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 site opinion uh, about a game and uh and that was a very uh that that would that led to some a little bit of conflict at the time people were like you can't do that like that's exactly <laughs> well okay that's exactly what we're doing so um and uh that was a lot more fun as it turns out so uh you know i had done some public access tv when i was in high school and stuff like that so you know i just i had fun doing on camera and 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 on microphone stuff so that transition was was a good fun one for me it is really weird where we're at right now i think uh with all video game coverage because of 
just you know how much it has shifted into videos and podcasts and that yeah. sort of stuff but uh but i'm i'm pretty happy about it yeah it was strange because i remember uh always looking at GameSpot as you know this is GameSpot's review this is ign's review because it was this big outlet this big publication and not the individuals who were the, actually there writing and it was when podcasts started happening with um the hotspot back when you guys were doing it and afterward with like Brendan Sinclair and Kevin right. Van Ord and Tom McShay and people like that where I'm like, oh, there's actual real people here writing these reviews. It's not being pumped out of some machine. And yeah, I do remember listening to those podcasts and being like, oh, this is different and cool and interesting in a way that uh, my when I was back in like my younger years of like, I am going to eventually write about games for a living. I was only focusing on writing. Because yeah. that's what everything was, and that was always the path that I always thought was the best. Where I'm like, I'll write at smaller sites and eventually get my name out there, and eventually, you know, I'll write for about games for a living. And when I did start freelancing at GameSpot, and I was uh, reviewing games there for three years with Kevin Van Ord, I mm-hmm. remember kind of looking around the landscape and being like, you know, I don't think you can just be a writer anymore. Like, if you actually want to do this like is that part kind of weird like when you are because i mean you recently had two new hires like you're now you're not looking for people who are just traditional writers who want to talk about video games in that way there's definitely outlets like that like you know uh, waypoint and polygon has a lot of that but i mean it's it's kind of weird where if you want to get in this business you can't go down maybe the route that dan reichert did of writing 2000 reviews in college all about metal gear solid yeah that's uh that's yeah you're totally right you just you kind of just can't do that anymore uh you have to be a lot more well-rounded uh than than that and and yeah we did hire recently and and, and we talked to a lot of people for that position and, and there were people that uh that i talked to that i was like man if this was like 15 years ago you would be amazing <laughs> at this like you know yeah. you, you you know uh but this isn't this isn't really a writing gig anymore but at the same time you know, I, I'm still looking for someone who can write uh, for a couple of reasons. You know, it's it's partially because there there is still text that goes up on the site uh, here and there, and and people need to be able to kind of express themselves well in that form. Uh, but also, it's, it is kind of it's you know it, it's also a, like a good general guide is like is this person solid? Is this person gonna like have well reasoned arguments and and well thought stuff? Um, so so writing kind of became a part of the position, even though. Uh, I think the the person we did eventually bring in, I don't know that he's written anything for us yet in the couple of weeks he's been on. Um, and yeah, it, it it is definitely changed. I used to joke uh, back at GameSpot, you know, 10 years ago, I used to uh, joke that we were eventually going to have to start getting headshots in with people's resumes. Um, <laughs> and, and like we're we're there uh you know but not necessarily but it it, it, it's more of a it's it's almost more of a screen test uh weirdly enough uh we actually had um we had a few people answer questions on a webcam really uh as part of the like as part of uh you know weeding through the resumes and kind of bringing people through to to some next steps and stuff like that when we got close to the end of that process it was like okay well you know let's Let's get you on a camera, and and there were the recruiters on at, on the CBS side had like tools in place for that sort of stuff. It was like, oh, we're we're checking this thing out. It's you know we and we got to see things like how many times did they record this before submitting, and how long did it take them to answer this text answer? And it was like re- weirdly creepy stuff. Wow, but, <laughs> but it actually was super useful. You know, just to to be able to see people on camera and like you know can they can they be even like a little bit natural in this in this very unnatural situation of like hey talk to your camera about you know, and answering these questions about, you know, your, your history with video games and, and stuff like that. It ended up being, 
uh, weirdly useful, but also it was that moment where I was like, man, what even is this job anymore? It's just insane. I mean, how intensive has that interview process become? Because you can't just... A lot of what you do is ad-libbing. If you talk about Unprofessional Fridays, like you don't have a script. Like You're just going off the cuff playing games around each other and Giant Bomb so heavily personality-based that yeah. you have to have... You have to play off of people. You have to know that person, understand like certain things about them so you can talk to them just you know out of nowhere and start you know, working on a quick look together or something like that. So, I mean, how many interviews did you have to have with these people before you kind of realize, like, all right, I'm confident they'll fit in this group, they'll add something new to the mix, and they'll be able to maybe pick things up if they aren't going well during a live stream or add something funny that we wouldn't have had otherwise right it's yeah it's you have to really you have to really spend time with people i mean our in-person interviews were not really like hey let's go over your qualifications it's it's like hey let's just talk you know what what are you into what's what's your thing what what are you all about uh and it was more kind of like trying to get that out of them be like who are you as a person like like what do you you know just to try to suss out you know what, what do we think this person will contribute and and that sort of thing i mean you know uh abby who who just came on in the new york office like she has actual improv experience you know like yeah. we she's not the only person that we've uh talked to that that had that and that's a weird thing to think about like okay well wait a minute we need like the, the qualifications get weirder and weirder and harder for fulfill as time <laughs> goes on right because it's like now it's like okay well, we need someone who's quick. Uh, we need someone who, if things go wrong on a live stream, they can stretch. They're not just going to freeze up. Um, someone who, so, so like you know, someone who's comfortable on camera, uh, someone who's comfortable in front of a microphone, um, and also knows games pretty well. Also, should be able to write. Also, needs to be somewhat technically minded um, to use our backend tools. And you know, they're going to need to know how to FTP some files around. They're going to need to know. know ideally, hopefully, they they know how to you know cut some audio and yeah. and if they want to learn how to do some basic cutting on video, like we can always you know that like in an emergency, you never know what you're going to need to do. So, the it's this this real uh, wide skill set that makes actually hiring for these positions get way crazier. And of course, you know we have a we have a we're we're lucky to have a, a very uh, large audience of fans that, that are that really care about. Uh, you know what we're doing and stuff like that so that in some ways actually adds more pressure to the situation where you get people speculating about like are they hiring this person are they bringing in this person like people that have been guests before and stuff like that and you know there have been cases where we've been talking to people uh who have then you know the the community is is like brought them up in a conversation except you know just kind of guest added or whatever and then that's made that conversation go south like like really in a really strange way because you get people that go like oh well the community thinks that i should be here so clearly and it's like well wait a minute that's that's not (laughs) that is not how this works um and and then you're like oh wait a minute maybe you're not actually the 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 person for this if that's going to be how you're going to anyway it's 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 all over the place with that stuff uh it's uh i i it i lose a lot of sleep when we have open (laughs) positions uh because that stuff uh is is very time consuming and, and and uh very stressful do you think the audience your audience has become more accustomed to accepting new people because uh, the giant bomb fan base cares about giant bomb a lot my episode with Vinny caravella did like 10 times any other episode like immediately it was just all over the place and i i remember patrick who i've had on here and i've met him a couple times in person when he first came on there was that kind of early backlash which i think you just expect with kind of the normal shitty crowd on the internet every once in a while sure and since then you have added a lot of different people um and have you kind of noticed from maybe looking at the forums or looking at your twitter where people are more willing to 
maybe not with completely open arms, but accept, accept new personalities and kind of help foster them into this group in this community? I, I think that there's uh, there's some stuff where, you know, like there's probably also like the right way to introduce someone. Um, and, and maybe I think I want to say with Patrick that maybe we kind of, and we brought him in, in a news role. And at the time we were like, okay, you know, we're not going to let him get sucked up into all this video and all the other stuff. We're going to let him do news. And we had done some freelance news prior to that. And, uh, you know, it, it just became this like random byline on the site that people didn't necessarily identify with. And it was just like, well, what is this person bringing to the table? All this other stuff. So I, I think at some point it, you know, Part of it is, is you know, and, and and then we went on to hire Austin Walker in a similar news role, but then he was immediately sucked up into everything else, uh, all the other things we do, uh, just as Patrick was. So uh, yeah. for for us, like these positions that we had openings for, at some point it was like this realization of just like, hey, let's just be honest with ourselves. We're not going to hire a news editor. <laughs> like we're not we're not going to like try like tell ourselves like, oh, we're going to take this person and, and and silo them off into this other thing. Like that's just not. Uh, a reality with uh, the size of our staff and then the sorts of things that we, we do. So uh, it kind of just became like, okay, well we are straight up hiring someone that can, that can kind of fit into fit onto this podcast that can, you know, that we can put into these videos uh, pretty easily and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So I, I think some of it is, is yeah, there, there, there is probably like a right way to introduce people that I think we've gotten a little bit smarter about as time has gone on. But also, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, we've had change over the years and I think people are, a little more understanding of that. Like, I, I don't really want giant bomb to necessarily become like a revolving door of people per se. Um, I'd, I'd rather kind of grow instead of having to replace people, yeah. uh, every couple of years, you know, just adding to the staff is a lot more fun. But, um, but yeah, uh, I think the, the people out there have, have been through it a couple of times and, and they, they kind of know what to expect. It, was it difficult to kind of break away from that traditional news editor idea or this person is like you were a views editor at GameSpot or you always think of like these individual roles at a publication, especially, you know, your days in early GameSpot, IGN, all those different places had yeah. set roles. And you mentioned it didn't really work with Giant Bomb, but were you kind of maybe holding on to those because that's how you had always thought of the industry? Like did did kind of the industry itself change enough and how Giant Bomb works change enough where you had to just realize like that doesn't matter anymore. We don't need job titles. We just need to lean on kind of the proficiencies of each person, but include them in everything. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and it's, it's, you know, it's not necessarily about including people in, in everything, you know, uh, the, the Abby out in New York, you know, has a, has a more production focus. So, you know, naturally she'll end up in things, but you know, she's also there to kind of help out behind the scenes and, and, and free up Vinny for some things too. So, you know, I, I think that there, there's some of that too. Um, but yeah, it's, there, there, it, it was a little hard. Uh, it, it was easy to let go of titles. Actually, that was mm -hmm. something where when, you know, we were starting the site out, uh, it was like, we don't even like, we could make up our own titles. Like, you know, technically I was, I could have had business cards that said like CEO or something dumb like that. But you know, when it's like a super <laughs> small company, that's just looks lame. So yeah, yeah. I, all our cards, I think just said editor, even Vinny's because, that was at a time where if you handed someone a business card and it didn't have an editorial title on it, some people might look at you sideways when you show up to an appointment. Mm. Um, so I think we all just got cards that just said editor, um, just to, to just cause it wasn't worth the the hassle. Uh, now we're rammed into this corporate structure and we all have like internal titles and external titles and all this other stuff that I don't care about, but you know, it, it's, uh, that stuff does exist. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, 
it was hard to let go of some of the roles and stuff like that. But also some people are just naturally proficient at some things. Whereas like, uh, you know, Alex worked with me years and years ago um, on reviews for a good long time. So uh, he still kind of heads up some parts of that process when we want to get into reviews. And uh, and Brad ran previews uh, for the most part years ago. So he, he still kind of becomes the like the point person for like hey let's get in touch with these people and do this and see if we can do this like you know so he kind of heads up that sort of stuff so um so but that's more of like a hey you're already really good at this so how about you just you handle that uh stuff because it's it's important for us to get right and then we kind of move on from there we talked earlier about how you can't just you know be a writer anymore there's uh, video is so important now streaming is so important do you spend a lot of time at all kind of taking a step back and trying to think of what could be next maybe not looking into the future and trying to get there before it happens but when you look at giant bomb you built in a time where um streaming and let's plays weren't massive yet but you had kind of had were early in the door with quick looks and then you look at your premium subscription model in a lot of ways that kind of mirrors what patreon is doing for kind of funny and no clip today so as you know someone who's built this business if you want to call it that the business sure. sounds weird for it uh do you kind of look at this with you know, the ad model's weird, so you need those subscribers, and, you know, it, things are changing constantly. Is it going to keep going more video-focused? Is it going to swing back? Because you see Waypoint and Glixel and uh, Zam, to a smaller degree, focusing on culture writing. Like, do you kind of look at all this stuff and try to figure out, all right, where is this actually going to... Where are the chips going to fall? What's the best way to invest our time? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, that's a, that's almost a daily thing. It's like, you know, what's the best way to invest our time right now, you know, on a, on a smaller scale? And that, that comes down to like, okay, well, what games are we going to cover and which games are we going to pass on? Um, but in the larger sense, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the world has kind of changed around us in, in some ways. Um, and... You know, so so the I think you know what what's happening right now. You see with with Patreon and, and the way people are running other similar kind of subscription service sort of things. Um, you know, they're much more about uh, in, in a lot of cases, not all of them, but a, a lot of them are about content windowing of like, okay, if you sign up for this, you're gonna get uh this content seven days early or two days early or, or whatever yeah. it ends up being. And our model is built around a hard wall, uh, like a, a harder paywall. Like this is the stuff that you pay to get access to. Uh, and you know, so that creates a, a dynamic for us where, okay, we need to make sure that we have content that's going up that everyone can see because obviously like growing is, is about, you know, putting things in front of as, as many people as possible. Uh, but then we also have to have this other type of content that only our subscribers can see. So it, it ends up being this pendulum, uh, of going back and forth between those two things uh, with the same staff, you know, and and so that juggle is uh, difficult at times, depending on what else is happening in the industry and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I look at the, I, th- I think that uh, the the people that have gone the windowing approach, like I think that that's a, a valid approach. I, I think that like our value proposition is pretty good, I guess, um, because <laughs> that stuff is is for our subscribers and. And and they seem to really like that, and and we're we're doing really well there. Um, but from a just a content strategy and planning standpoint, man, it'd be easier if we just had one pipeline instead of two. <laughs> um, and and so I I look at that stuff when I when I look at kind of what the what the Patreon model is doing and and stuff like that. But I, increasingly, I look at what we do is. Uh, you know, like we, we came from websites and we still have a website and we still uh, think about things that way, but, but ultimately we're in the content distribution business. Um, 
and so it, it becomes this thing of like okay well we make this stuff we want to get it in front of people we would like people if they like it to you know hopefully sign up for a membership and and get access to more of it the more behind the scenes stuff the more kind of personal stuff uh you know however you want to split it up um and so it it, it becomes about like okay well what are the, what's the best way to get our stuff in front of more people um and and what are the platforms we can use for that is it youtube is it you know some uh ott kind of set top box deep app is it some kind of uh external subscription service that we're partnering with you know so it, it's a lot of it is around that stuff so I, I look at you know it used to be very easy uh when you thought about uh the content we produce and who the competitors are it just became like okay well we're GameSpot. we ign is the competition and then oh here's game trailers now what are they up to and so you you looked at it very much as like video game websites and 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 this kind of much smaller pool whereas now that it's video and now that it's like hours of content and and people are choosing to spend their time with us or someone else suddenly it's not even about you know game coverage or videos about games you know it's it suddenly it's this much larger world of like okay in some abstract way like we're competing with the wwe network or <laughs> you know any other streaming service or any yeah. other video service you know we're we're putting up hours of video uh a week and and you know we're we're putting out more stuff than than a, a television show would if you followed a TV show and stuff like that. So it's it's a big ask in some cases to say like, hey, get into this. Um, but but yeah, so I, I tend to look at it in terms of like we're we're this service in this pool of a zillion different video streaming services. If you had to do it again today, if you had to restart Giant Bomb right now, would there even be a website? Like, would it be maybe a Patreon or a YouTube channel or something like that? Was it a website mainly because that was 2008 when that seemed like that was the you know smart the common way to do it like has it changed so much that you might not even go that route now if you had to restart everything well i think if i was restarting everything right now you know like i wouldn't build a wiki because we already built a wiki um yeah. but if that didn't exist i would probably want to build a wiki um and and then that says okay well we need a website with these robust tools and this sort of stuff like that uh but yeah if if, if this thing blew up tomorrow or you know hey that i wore the wrong clothes to work and they fired you know whatever <laughs> Um, the, and I was starting over from scratch, like you would have a web presence, uh, but you wouldn't necessarily think of it as like, oh, we need a place for news stories. We need a place for reviews. It would more be like, here's a one-stop shop about ways you can, uh, get in touch with us and support us, you know, whether it's on Patreon or whether we're building our own, you know, subscription service or, or whatever. Um, it would be like, Hey, here's, here's a link to our YouTube channel and, or here's a feed of the videos that are going up on YouTube. Here's a list of the apps you can use to watch our stuff on a PlayStation or on an Xbox, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, here's a link to, you know, then it becomes like, okay, well, do you build message boards or do you go with a subreddit or, or something like that? And, uh, you know, decisions like that become much more meaningful. So at some point, like if you look at some of these other, uh, Patreons, uh, that are out there running like if you look at their website it's like it's a message board and here's the merchandise we're currently selling yeah um and and i think that that's a, a perfectly valid approach for a video focused or an audio video focused thing uh, i would probably want a blog or something in there because you know we do occasionally do some writing um but yeah i think the actual like dot com domain thing would probably be a lot thinner uh if i was starting from scratch right now 
Yeah, it's it's so weird how spread out a lot of things are in that way. And uh, I think it was Justin McElroy on here when I was asking if he would ever do a Patreon with his brothers. The kind of, the way he put it was, you know, that's a that's a switch you can flip once. Like you have to have a really good idea, and you can't just like that's usually like an end of the road. Like, all right, we're now going to go for it. And we have to get this perfectly right. And like the whole Patreon idea in general, I would think it has to be. Would that be terrifying for you to kind of put yourself out there in a way where you're like, it sounds weird to be like, how much am I worth to you? Like you put yourself out there and see who's going to pay for it. Like does even that idea kind of freak you out or did you already kind of experience that with the premium model? Yeah. Well, I mean, we experienced something pretty similar to that just launching a website even before because yeah. we didn't launch with premium um, when we when we first came, went out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was funny because when we were like quietly building a video game website in like late 07 and, and into 08 uh, before we'd announced the name or anything like that. You know, I, I remember going to like GDC and running into someone. It was before we'd announced that we were doing anything. But Did we you were announce all... on X-Play with Adam Sessler? Was yeah. The first. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Adam. Adam. I ran into Adam at GDC, I think. And he said, well, hey, when you're ready to talk, like do this. I'm like, absolutely. Of course. Um, and so, yeah. So, so Adam was nice enough to, to give me a spot for that. And, uh, you know, but, but other people that I was talking to were like, oh, what are you up to? It was like, oh, you know, we're doing a thing. And it was, it was like a number of people that were just like, well, I hope you're not building a video game website because there are already too many of those. <laughs> and I was like, eh, all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I, 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 but I, you know, but at the same time, I kind of felt we would, we'd be okay, uh, with that stuff. I wasn't too worried. Um, you never know how it's going to go, but you know, like, honestly, and and it's and it's we were in a, a fortunate situation with that stuff where there was quite a bit of uh, fervor. There there was a lot of interest uh, about what I would do next, just by virtue of of uh, how how I left Gamespot, uh, yeah. and and so that that kind of created uh, more buzz than we probably would have had otherwise. Um, honestly, so so you you really couldn't ask for a better launching pad uh, than, yeah. than what those guys gave me. So. Um, so yeah, that, that ended up working out pretty well. And then when we were, when we were launching premium, uh, designing premium, we kind of sat down and been like, well, what's the actual service? It was the same approach we took to the websites. Like, well, what would we want to use? What would we think would be okay? What would we feel okay about asking people to pay for and, and how much, what, you know, where, where do we think this service needs to kind of land? And, and, uh, we approached it from, from that angle and, and came out of the gate and then that did pretty well for us too. Um, yeah, it's uh, it it is a little scary to to put yourself out there and doing it all over again. I think I I would I would feel okay about it as long as yeah, as long as you kind of have the right concept and the right approach and and that sort of stuff. Uh, I think that that Justin's absolutely right. Like you you really can only kind of launch that one time, and you know you can make changes and you can pivot and you can you know there are things you can do once you're you're out there. You know as you kind of grow and change. I think you have to be able to fail you know you need yeah. to be able to be out there and and make those mistakes and and go down the roads and and see which ones still make sense and which ones don't and you know i, I think we we've done that over the years in terms of like hey let's be really news heavy for a while because uh text is very shareable and seo friendly and all this other crap and you know so we we kind of spent some time on that stuff but it was like you know this this isn't us like this isn't even if this is right for like the business needs right now or whatever, which it turned out to not even be that, uh, then, you know, we, we came here to do video. We came here to make podcasts work. We came here to, to kind of try to figure out, uh, how to turn this into a a lasting, uh, business. 
And it sounds like you are always, you know, thinking about next steps and thinking about where the industry is going. But do you ever at all get concerned about getting too comfortable with the current kind of content pipeline of Giant Bomb? Because I talked to Dan uh, a couple weeks, a couple months back about how he he really enjoys trying new features like Demo Derby. This is mm-hmm. the run, that new B game uh, kind of show that they have going on. But, you know, when you look at Giant Bomb, the 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 kind of meat and potatoes are the quick looks in the bomb cast in a lot of ways that's the stuff that people expect every single week are you constantly thinking of new feature ideas or way to present games differently or in a lot of cases does that stuff kind of happen organically because unfinished seemed like it came about because of early access and a lot of games that were unfinished and didn't really right. have like you know the quick look didn't really work for that and then you know the verodio is vr came a lot of those were shooting galleries that didn't deserve a full 20 30 minute video so let's pack that all in at once so is a lot of how giant bombs content is structured based on maybe the way the industry turns yeah it, it's kind of whatever makes sense uh as things change like okay you know this this thing is happening now what's going to be the right way to cover or you know i, I think the, the thing we think about even from game to game is what's going to be the right way to cover this what's going to be the the right approach and by and large you know most games are are pretty standard stuff the, the quick look handles it um or, or that style of content works fine but you know so right now uh star trek bridge crew just came out at the worst possible time of the year <laughs> um it's a four-player vr game and you're like okay well clearly we need to get four of us into vr headsets uh so that we can play this together and then the actual logistics of making that work even though ubisoft went out of their way to actually make it work cross platform so you know the playstation vr can talk to vive can talk oh, to really? rift yeah i mean oh which, my god it's a four-player multiplayer game. You, you got to, you know, you, yeah. not enough people own the headsets. They they kind of have to do that. I so. doubt there's there's like maybe three people on Earth who own four fives. So exactly, yeah. So then it became like, okay, how do we shoot this? How do we, you know, okay, we've got, we could pull together three headsets here. We we sent a PSVR out to Vinny in New York, so they've got one out there. But then it's like, okay, also E three is happening, and we're packing up studios and stuff. So you know, th- that's a video that we'll probably try to take on when we get back. Um, but you know, I spent like a month going like, man, when that game comes in, I don't even want, I don't even want to think about what we're going to have to do with that. Cause it's, it's going to take a lot of work for a video of one game, but hopefully <laughs> it'll be worth it. Hopefully that thing is cool enough. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I think some of it's organic and, 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 you know, some of it is just kind of driven by like, you know, we, we want to change things up you know, I'm always willing to kind of throw it all out and start over, but uh, we've been doing this for close to 10 years now. So every time I say that, I sit down and look at the content. I look at how we came to develop these types of content in the, in, in, in the first place and go like, actually, that still makes sense. Like, like doing quick looks uh, still makes sense. We, we've changed it up. So, you know, we used to be a lot heavier on quick looks um, and we've scaled that back a little bit to make sure we've got a little bit of time to, to kind of work on other stuff. Uh, which it, you know is good. I think you need you can't you can't overly schedule yourself. It just, yeah. it just you know there's no creativity at all at that point because you just don't have time. But uh, yeah, so in, in some ways it's this thing where you know quick looks are actually pretty successful for us in terms of they don't take a ton of time for us to do. There's, there's prep work depending on the game. You know you might have to play a game for six hours before you can record it, or it might be something where you can play it for ten minutes and then sit down and record it. It just kind of varies from game to game, but. Uh, it is the sort of thing that, you know, you look at it and go like, okay, actually it, it does still make sense to do this. But then you're like, well, but at the same time, it'd be nice to, if we, if we completely got away from it and got into long form, more edited things, these longer pieces, that'd be a lot of fun. You're like, okay, well actually, you know, 
there's a reason why we don't do that stuff right now. It's because we, you know, that would be half the staff. The, the, the number of things we could produce while that was happening would drop to near zero. And that's not a good way to run this. And, uh, so it's, it's another balancing act, uh, you know, uh, for, for us in terms of, um, kind of maintaining the things that we do on a regular basis and then like, okay, well, let's, let's try to make sure that we're, uh, you know, hopefully surprising people from time to time. Like the, yeah. the last thing I want to be is, uh, you know, I, like I, I kind of said a few times, like, I don't want to be the like recurring character Saturday night live style thing. <laughs> right. Of just like, we do this and this is, this is it. And, and we, you come back for the hits or whatever. Um, it's what, you know, it's like a recurring characters, recurring bits, like that sort of stuff. I think all that stuff has a shelf life, uh, just cause you don't want it to just kind of play itself out. So, some of it's stuff we do by necessity. Some of it's stuff we do because it just makes sense with the number of people we have and the time we have and that sort of stuff. And uh, and we try to leave room to to yeah, dream up new stuff. Hopefully along the way. Uh, and yeah, that's we've we've been a little shorthanded lately, so it's been hard to find time to uh, cook up anything new. Like that bring your B game thing that they're doing out in New York. Like that was something that Dan and I kind of cooked up last year uh, before oh, wow. he, before he had moved out, and and he and I were gonna do that. Uh, and then he moved and, you know, like we were like, okay, well, we need to fill these positions. We need to do this. And, you know, it's finally coming around to where, where they can do it out there. Uh, and, and yeah. Uh, so sometimes, yeah, sometimes we sit on this stuff for, for a good long time before we get in a position to actually start doing it. And then we run into the other situation of like, sometimes we start doing a thing and then realize like, oh, this is actually way more time intensive and our production situation has changed. So we can't necessarily do ranking of fighters as often as we would like until we get another producer on staff and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. The, the kind of maybe even shorter than a quick look edited content. It seems like it's, it's super cool in theory where I loved when you guys did video reviews, but I, I remember when I was helping and writing scripts or video reviews at GameSpot, I would kind of take a step back and be like, man, this takes a lot of work. Yep. Like it's cool. And it, it's fun to kind of take that long, maybe 1500 word review and really pare it down and make something interesting out of it. But just finding all the right clips for the exact right moment you want to illustrate versus what you guys do with a quick look where I think it was um, Brad and Ben did one on the surge recently where uh, it's not a review, but in a lot of ways it gives me exactly what I want when maybe I want to make just a random purchase or I'm like, Oh, this looks interesting. What they're saying about it grabs me. And I've now seen 20 to 30, maybe 40 minutes of this game and I'm in. Uh, and it's, there's definitely, I would think value in that. And you did mention earlier kind of about when you look at when you were doing news and think about SEO and the shareable kind of text, are, are you someone who focuses on website traffic figures a lot? When I was, geez, like 18, 19 years old, I was mm-hmm. running this smaller site, just kind of getting experience. And I had access to all the Google analytics and I couldn't help but constantly look at it anytime anything ever went up. <laughs> um, and I'm guessing to a certain extent, you know, being a part of CBSI and being a founder and all, you have to kind of take note of that, see what's working, see what's not working. But is that really what you see as what drives what games you should cover? Or for you, is it more, we're going to do stuff we like to do, you know, we'll continue to do things that do really well, but we're not going to not do something if, you know, not that many people are watching it. It's, it's, I, I almost never look at the numbers. Um, I, I get them, like I get like a daily email that's like, uh, here's, you know, here, here's like the, the top content on the site or whatever. But, uh, the only numbers I actually care about are the subscriber numbers, honestly. Mm. Like it's the, the, and, and general trends, you know, it's like the day to day, did this do well? Did this not do well? It just, it doesn't matter. Like it, we're not in this for like, 
uh, quick traffic. Like we, we've never been, we've never thought about the site that way. And, and it's, it's not the, it's not the business we built around it either. You know, it, it's more about like, okay, we want to, like, I, I want to grow this thing one fan at a time if that's what it takes. But I, I want to, I want to find the people that really like this thing and, and, and really care about it as opposed to just like, well, let's just start, I don't know, we'll start throwing up a bunch of news articles that, you know, SEO well or whatever. Like, here's what, this wrestler said today you know or, or just like stuff that's not even about games yeah and just fill the site full of that to try to drag people in through social you know like like hey let's post all this stuff to facebook so people click through and hopefully they sign up like that's just not what we do you know we want people that that appreciate that like what we're doing you know and and get a lot of value out of it hopefully uh to to spend some time with it and and hopefully sign up for a a membership you know that that's the that's the thing for us. So, you know, the, the, you know, day to day traffic of like, Hey, how many people looked at the homepage? Like, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Uh, for me, it's like, okay, well, what are some, what are some things we can do to get our stuff in front of more people? Uh, but in a way that hopefully feels natural. So we're, we're not just like forcing it down their throats. Cause like we're, we can be kind of an acquired taste, right? I mean, it's not yeah. something that, you know, these are long videos. Um, if you just send it to someone once, they might not, they they might not understand why it exists. Uh, it's usually I think we had some data at some point. I don't remember what the actual point was, but it was once they watch a second video, the likelihood that they are going to stick around and watch a million of them like skyrockets. <laughs> so it's that all important first video. Yeah, uh, yeah. If they can if they can click twice, uh, we've got them. I guess I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a really weird thing. But but that's the sort of stuff I uh that that, that we all kind of care about as like a business or whatever. It's like, okay, well what's, you know, are are people signing up for the site? Are are people um, you know, kind of watching this stuff? And, and we can dig into the YouTube numbers too, which is uh fun sometimes cuz then, you know, on on YouTube we talk to like a, a slightly different audience, right? It, it's, you know, there are a number of people that that are fans of what we do. And there's a number of people who have been banned from our forums who just love to comment on YouTube videos. Oh, wow. Um, and then you have people who have no idea who we are, but we're covering a game that's not out yet. So that video does really well or something. And, and so you get people, you, you get, a, a these kind of fresher perspectives all the time about like, ah, what someone stumbled upon this video. What do they say? Uh, what, what do they think about it? And the thing they say over and over again is why do you name this a quick look if it's an hour long? Um, I've seen that comment so many times <laughs> on your YouTube channel. Yeah, and I see it. I just I laugh every time I see it. Every single time I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I love that. I think it's I think it's hilarious. So uh, yeah, it's uh, we do a weird thing, and it's it's not for everybody. But that also is is why I think quick looks can work because you know we're we're not the the biggest most mainstream video game website on the planet. So we don't have to like try to cater to people who don't know anything about games. Uh, yeah. You know, we're we're usually speaking to an audience that is already pretty well versed on their own likes and dislikes. So so yeah, if you know the types of games you like and dislike, you can watch that surge video and get most of what you would get out of out of a review uh, from that video and 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 from a lot of those those videos. So I, I think that that's you know it's it's a mixture of you know this is the stuff that's, that makes sense for us to do, but also you know we're we're relying on our audience to to bring in their own likes and dislikes and, and understand you know some things about games and uh and that's carried us pretty far 
because you put yourself out there so much and because this thing's so personality driven, is it weird having kind of this really uh, dedicated audience that almost views you as an internet celebrity, which is a weird term in itself. But I remember <laughs> I was at um, PAX East 2013, way back when, and uh, I was in line for your panel. And you guys had, the line was for days, and you guys walked by and everyone starts cheering and chanting. And it's this weird, like, yes, it's in this video game media bubble, um, but it has to be kind of strange for you going from GameSpot, where initially you were mostly doing writing, and then you built in a podcast and video and stuff like that. But, I mean, do you ever get randomly recognized on the street by fans? And did you ever have to, let's say, tell your friends or wife, like, hey, like, there's this weird thing where people know who I am because I play video games online? Yeah, it's, well, it... It actually, yeah, I mean, it was actually me getting fired that led to, I think, a lot of my friends and family and stuff like that understanding uh, the nature of what I do. Um, you know, before I was just like, well, does, does he make the games? What does he, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and so that thing, when, when that went down and it kind of blew up in a, in a really big way, it, it was this sudden realization. I mean, for, for me also, but for for them for sure that was like oh there's like a lot of people that watch this stuff um and and it's a big deal to them and 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 that whole thing so it, it that for me was a really big turning point in terms of making it easier for friends and family to understand the the nature of that stuff uh, i it it does happen like i i i do occasionally uh get recognized here and there yeah uh it's you know obviously in certain situations it's gonna be more likely to happen than others you know packs obviously you know um like those sorts of of scenarios but but yeah it does happen uh and a lot of this conversation has been how about how weird games media and the industry is right now that's constantly changing i mean you, you look at the diminishing role of e3 uh there's publishers who are holding review copies until the day before release and justifying it in confusing ways and then there's yeah. you know streamers and youtubers often getting copper copies earlier than press and maybe just kind of talking about it in this super man this is amazing kind of way do you feel we're in a weird transitional period where publishers are realizing all they really need are positive influencers and maybe even their own pr branches to get the messaging out that they want about their games or do you think a lot of this is going to swing back and forth do you think it could just be swinging really hard in this way they'll realize maybe this isn't the best way to do it and we'll go back in the middle yeah, I think that you're you're seeing some publishers experiment with this stuff, and and you know, in terms of just like how they how they treat the press, um, but also you know, I, yeah, I think it's uh, you see a lot of that even outside games. There's a lot of stuff just going on in the world that you can kind of map back to uh, how the gaming press gets treated. You know, this the the political press is getting a bunch of weird <laughs> yeah. stuff these days too, right? So. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I I do think that like you know the press and and our, ourselves you know uh, we're in this position where we will uh, we will speak our minds even if that is sometimes saying something negative about a game and and I think there are a lot of places out there even even the ones that aren't necessarily like the guy in his bedroom freaking out about a game uh, but there are a lot of places that really focus on the positive and I think that's kind of cool in a way but also. I think that there's real value in kind of telling people like, hey, this thing is maybe not so good. Uh, this thing has issues. This this thing you've been anticipating, uh, we're, we're going to talk about it. Instead of just glossing over it and going like, hey, we're only going to focus on the things we really like. Like, I, I think that that's a, a really scary way to go. Um, yeah. 
to just try to focus on only the things you like and only the positivity and, and all that sort of stuff. I think you need to run the whole gamut to to keep your audience informed. Um, I, I think that, that that's a, a vital thing. And so we get some people that are just like, oh, they're so jaded. It's like, no, it's like we, we've just we're just speaking our minds on this stuff and trying to be as open and honest about it as possible. And that means we're not like freaking out and jumping around and doing some of this stuff sometimes. And yeah, it's, it's been interesting watching that change happen to where, uh, in, in a couple of ways, really, I think that that's something that you could look at, you know, that, that YouTube has changed is, is the expectations of what does excited look like? Yeah. Uh, I think has changed very dramatically in, in these days. Um, and and so so that's a very different. Also, uh, the other interesting thing is, you know, we, we've thought of ourselves as generalists in a sense, you know, um, back to the GameSpot days of just like, hey, you know, we we cover a lot of video games. We don't cover them all. You know, we're not we're not. You know, that's, that's impossible. Um, but we we cover a lot of ground in terms of different genres, different types of games. Like we move from one game to the next pretty quickly um, from week to week, whether we're working on a review or, or playing a game. Um so, you know, we we don't always stick with things for a long period of time. But now, you know, you have a ton of people out there on YouTube and, and like for, for just about any game, you can go or any any popular game or, you know, sometimes even a lot of the unpopular ones. You can find people out there that are only playing that game and streaming it and playing it and playing it over again and speed running it. And so you get an audience that is a little more informed about a specific game uh, than yeah. even we might be post-release, you know? Uh, and and so the, the, you get a lot of people that are like, man, these guys are terrible at games. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I'm not going to tell you that I'm the best at anything. Um, but because there is so much video available of people you know expertly playing like dark souls or something like that you know there there's kind of there's become this almost codified like this is the right way to play this game yeah. and if you deviate from that one bit and don't hit this side quest and don't hit this don't hit this i'm going to complain uh and that's a really interesting change uh that that i i look at as being kind of hand in hand with the like people not necessarily like people having kind of a, a maybe a warped view of what excited is supposed to look like. Um, it it, it kind of I think some of those things kind of go hand in hand, and and so I, yeah, that's something I kind of only recently kind of realized. I'm kind of still working through some of that stuff and thinking about it. Like, what is, is that? Is that really the case, or am I just is that just you know perception thing? I, yeah, it's uh it's weird, but I, I I do think that you know with Twitch with uh, being with Mixer, I guess now they call it now, whatever. Uh, you know, all the different services that have made it so easy for people to stream all the time, and and you have people out there, you know, just like in, in esports, and you know, people being like, I am the top competitive player of this game, and I'm going to stream it. Everyone's going to watch it, and then everyone's going to play like me. You see that in in mobas and stuff like that all the time, and fighting games and stuff, where you know the the top player wins a tournament with one character, and suddenly that character is being picked by everyone because they're they're trying to you know duplicate that tech and duplicate those strategies and, and all that sort of stuff and uh yeah i think that we're we're kind of caught in that kind of strange spot where we're not necessarily like married to any one game and i don't know that i would ever want to be um so i think people that are consuming a lot of content from people that are kind of attached to one game or one style of game uh you end up kind of getting a look at like what that super high level play is and then sometimes those people get pissed when they're not watching that super high level play, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a friend who does a lot of speedrunning of, like, Super Mario Maker, and he has a Twitch channel that's now partnered and gets, you know, hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. And, like, before, I don't think you would see that high-level play. Speedrunning wasn't anything that people watched on the internet, or, like you said, like, competitive play wasn't something you watched on the internet. And it's changed, because some people just spend hours a day watching one person play one game really, really well. Yeah. Uh, and that, like you said, you can't you can't do that. If you're trying to cover as many things as possible, these are things that interest you. You can't spend all day playing Dota 2 or all day playing Overwatch. You kind of, Like you said, it's, it's a generalist kind of thing. And when we, when we go back to um, how you have to kind of be uh, fair to your audience and not just be super full of random praise for something, like you look at games are more broken than ever. So I, think, yeah. I feel like the honesty is more important than ever. You look at the new Prey, uh, the IGN review got crushed because it gave it a four, um, but that game broke for the reviewer at the end. And there's a yeah. lot of games that are coming out that it, it's hard to review games at some points because you're trying to review what's in front of you. You're given this, you know, quote unquote, final copy, and so often there's a patch within a week that fixes things. Or I know Friday the Thirteenth is an out out, but that game's so broken for so many people. So that over positivity, that overzealousness that you immediately get from a YouTuber or a Twitch streamer or something like that is really tricky. Uh, in some cases, if there's money exchanging hands, not in a dirty way, but I mean, some YouTubers do get paid to do their coverage. Of course, yeah. It's it's shitty when that game might be broken and people are seeing this video of this guy or this, you know, this girl, this group of people who they really like covering it in a positive way and they get it and it's just completely junked like is it concerning to watch all these games continue to come out so broken does something have to give or can people just keep getting away with it i i don't know i i would have thought that it would have uh that it would have given by now um but people seem more more than willing to put up with it i, I think the the limit is when something is straight up unplayable like like prey having that save corruption bug uh is uh that's a, that's a more major problem friday the 13th launching with completely broken servers uh is you know that that's that's not a game at that point, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I saw some people over the weekend saying they were having a ton of problems. And, and that's the problem. Is some of this stuff can be so subjective. Is I saw a lot of people saying that they couldn't get Tekken 7 to stay connected, uh, but I haven't had any tr trouble with that. Yeah. Uh, so at some point, you know, as a reviewer, you're like, okay, well, I, I need to kind of do due di diligence. And it's why, you know, I, I think that, you know, there have been cases where, uh, I mean, there have been cases in the past, like years ago, you know, where you'd review a game, before it came out, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd post a review day of launch and then their servers would be broken and you'd be like, well, great. All right. Well, that's what, what do we do about this? And the answer is you don't run the review or you run, you know, we, we did it with, uh, with Titanfall, uh, and a couple other cases where it's like, okay, we're going to, this is the review text. And, and, you know, most of this stuff is set in stone, but we haven't had enough time to really check it out, uh, in a, in a public kind of real setting. So until we get a good look at the net code and all this other stuff, uh, we're not going to write our review uh, or we're not, we're not going to put a score on it. We're not going to, you know, like really kind of nail this thing down until we can check it out for real. Uh, and and that's, I think, been good for reviews. But, yeah, there's certainly been cases because Friday the 13th worked perfectly for people prior to launch. So yeah. in a case where like, yeah, you're you're streaming it and, uh, you know, you're, you're just a stream team or, some, you know, some streamer out there kind of doing your thing. Like you're not going to experience the the broken nature of it because it's a load problem. Uh, so it isn't until it you know ships out widely that everything breaks. And I don't know what the actual solution for that is, other than you know we we try to say like, hey, you know we, we do record videos before games are out, and you know it's not a review, so I don't view it as necessarily like, 
hey, we're getting a score wrong because this game is actually broken. It's a little more free form than that. So we can kind of say, hey, we're recording this video the day before the game comes out. So we're not going to find a lot of opposition. Uh, if we do, you know, like Tekken or something like that, we might be able to get into a game, but they might be in Australia because nine people have this game right now and who knows how it'll go. Um, so you kind of just have to, and, and I think, again, we're, we're lucky that we're speaking to kind of a smaller, more dedicated audience because they understand that. Uh, if I was putting out videos that, you know, were being viewed by millions and millions and millions of people and it was this huge mainstream thing and uh, we were trying to appeal to that kind of more casual audience, I don't know that I would feel comfortable putting that stuff up until I knew for sure, uh, because I think that those people might be a little more easily misled by stuff like that. Yeah, it's such a weird problem, because when that IGN review came out, and it was a four for Prey, I remember thinking like, oh, but they said they're going to fix it in the week, but then I go back and be like, well, that's the actual retail product that everyone's going to play right now. And right. like you said, it's it's a case-by-case basis. I When I reviewed NBA 2K15 for GameSpot, I gave it a really high score because I had no online issues, everything else I really enjoyed. And then as soon as it came out, there was just like these widespread connectivity issues. And that puts me in a weird spot because that's not the game I played. But now should I have pushed to wait for this review to go out? So yeah, with especially with working on these servers outside of public servers, it's so hard to know what is actually going to work when it goes live. So yeah, so often it just feels like it makes more sense. It's safer to just hold those reviews or just at least, like you said, do a text. Here's kind of where we're at, but we're going to hold this final score for when this game gets fixed, even if it should get penalized to a certain extent when it's broken as hell at launch. Yeah, then you get in, you know, if you start thinking about like the the penalized and all that sort of stuff, then you start getting into Metacritic averages and all this Mm -hmm. other weird stuff about like, you know, like that, you know, because of the way Metacritic treats uh, or scores updates and that sort of stuff, like IGN's score is always going to look like a four. Uh, Even if they, even if like, let's say that game gets patched and they, they say like, oh, it's an eight now. Uh, that's always going to show as a four. You know, yeah. you could say that that's a good incentive if if publishers still care about those numbers, which they seem to. Uh, then they should probably get it right the first time. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and and I think that you know, uh, review reviewers should be and, and outlets should be kind of willing to meet halfway on that stuff because it is such a weird situation when it does happen. It's not about it, it, you can't think about it in too much in terms of just like, well, we got to punish the company. It's more about like what's going to be the actual right thing for your audience. You know, and, and, you know, I, I haven't played enough Prey one way or the other to really say what I would have done in that situation if I would have gone ahead and, and given it a low score. But, you know, I, I reviewed Fallout and on console, the frame rate in that game was just terrible, like like yeah. unplayable in spots and, you know, quest lines that couldn't be finished and stuff like that. Like I was able to still finish the game and see credits. So nothing nothing uh, on the critical path broke, uh, but it sure seemed like it could have. Uh, and in those cases, you're just like, well, uh, you know, if this game is unfinishable, then what is it? You know, bad is usually the answer to that question. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, uh, that's, it, I think reviews are in a weird place. If you, if you think about it and like, you know, it used to only be MMOs and stuff like that, that we're going to, you, you knew you were going to see significant patches and the launches were going to be rough and, and all this other stuff. And so with MMOs, you kind of had to, you know, think about them in a, in a slightly different way, but, we're at a point now that everyone is so hung up on this games as a service thing that that's every game now. Uh, yeah. You know, like like think about even you know, like imagine like what is the value of a League of Legends review that was written the week League of Legends came out? Zero. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it might be fun to read and like yeah, joke yeah. about, like historical like, oh, significance, right? Yeah, yeah. There were like twelve champions or something compared to like the hundred and fifty now. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, games change so so much over time. 
that you know reviews can can only really work in the time in which they're written unless you're going to dedicate a person to continually update that review which is just not realistic yeah uh so with those sorts of cases it's like hey you know we're going to try to review this around launch because that's when there's a groundswell of interest and also a lot of questions about what this game is so you know i think it's okay that reviews reflect that kind of snapshot in time it's just that people need to kind of take that for what it truly is as as a snapshot of like here's what we thought about this game at this time uh you know destiny is a very different game now you know uh, yeah, uh, the division is a wildly different uh, experience oh, yeah. now than it was at launch, and uh, all this sort of stuff. And you know, and, and in Prey's case, like they rolled out a PS4 Pro patch that actually kind of messed it up a little more. <laughs> so it's like, oh my wait God. a minute! So that you can, you... <laughs> yeah, it can kind of go both ways. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a real it's a it's a, it's a real minefield out there. I think that you know we've been able to just kind of be open uh, with our audience and just say like. Here's our approach to this stuff. We're not, you know, like at no point am I saying this is the definitive only, oh, this is the only review that matters. You know, it's, it's never about that. Like people should just try to be informed uh, and, and take in as much coverage as they feel they need to before they make uh, a purchasing decision. And uh, I think that that's, that's probably the, the best approach for people is to just kind of understand that that's what reviews are meant to serve. And, you know, I think people put a little too much emphasis on scores and stuff like that. And it's just not, uh, they were never meant to be taken that way it's so hard to change that first impression too and it's hard to even grab uh, a publication's attention you know months or even weeks after game has launched because at that point there's already so many other things out that they need to cover i mean i'm i'm a part of the uh here they lie development team which was a playstation vr launch game yeah uh and then earlier this year it came out 2d PlayStation pro support uh updates for the vr version and it was like for me, I this is the first game I've worked on, um, kind of from a community management somewhat PR role, looking back and being like, how on earth do I grab IGN's attention about this right. update or GameSpot's attention or your attention or something like that? Because I understand as someone who did press for so long, it's hard to get people's attention. So yeah, right. that, that yeah. initial launch, I mean, even you look at something like every once in a while, there's something just hits. It's like lightning in a bottle with a like uh player on battlegrounds like you look at something like that even if it is broken in spots not broken broken but like kind of janky maybe yeah. in a endearing way sometimes like sometimes that yeah. just grabbed the right people at once and it became this phenomenon but other games come out broken like that and people will never give them a second chance definitely and, and you know I, I think you could you could even widen that net a little bit like we see a lot of we get a lot of pitches from publishers that are bringing a game to console that has been on pc for seven months or something like that and they're like, hey, do you want to come see this this game? And we're just like, no. Like, yeah. that's that's not, I mean, like, it, no. Like, we just, we don't <laughs> have time to revisit this thing just because you're putting it out on, on another platform. It, it's, you know, there are so many things coming out. And, and, like, our time is better spent. I think our audience would be better served by us looking at more games uh, than, than less. And, you know, I think, you know, for some of those other larger websites, like, they've got news teams in place that, you know, ideally... Uh, they would write a, a quick news story about uh, a significant patch or something like that. Like I, I think Brigador got some, so like like kind of kind of pulled it off what you're talking about a little bit where they had like a a they they kind of build it as like a big relaunch. They're like, hey, we shipped this thing last year and it's kind of got uh, some people liked some things about it, but boy, it sure needed uh, some some changes and some differences, and, and they've kind of waited a chunk of time and, and kind of gone back out there and said like we have made you know this is like deluxe edition this is this is our, our relaunch and and uh i definitely saw 
a little bit of buzz about that, which I was kind of surprised to see people kind of pick that it up. Game existed, right? And it, like years ago. Yeah, and like game that game was like almost awesome, but yeah. like there was just enough wrong with it where you're like, man, I, I don't, I don't, that's, I, I'm not gonna probably revisit this anymore. But now that like I since I felt that way about it initially, and now they're out there kind of talking the talk, I'm like, well. That would be pretty awesome if this game was great. The music was really good, so uh, it's you know like I'll, I'll probably re-download it. But that's that's a rarity. Like you know, there, there's uh, so much other stuff going on, and, and you know, like we we dig into way older games from time to time too. So you know, it's just kind of uh, finding the time to keep tabs on everything. Uh, you kind of just can't anymore. Yeah, I never really know anything releases either. Like, is Kerbal Space Program a real game yet, or is that still early access? Like, I, I just I don't know I get that, lost in that. I don't. Wasn't there like there was like a bad console port of that, and now 2K like Take Two bought Kerbal, and now they're going to bring it out again on I, console. I, that I, is I, a world I will never understand. Right. Like, that's yeah. Uh, speaking of a lot of different games that you're going to see that aren't quite done yet, uh, you just did E3 Judges Week and are actually preparing to go to E3. Yeah. Trucks all loaded up with all your stuff, and yep. I, I know you can't say too much yet about what you saw at Judges Week, but. Do you get a sense that E3 is continuing to downsize after I know you talked about how it was kind of a thin show last year and there was just more open space than you'd seen before and I think you've been to every single E3 so you'd be the person yeah. who knows about this. So do you think opening up to the public is going to help? Do you think they're prepared for, you know, making it half press, half public show? Like uh, yeah. what's kind of I, your sense for it? I it's, it's it's hard to get a read on how the public thing will will work out. Um, I think you know it's something that they have to do. Like like last year, like I was taking phone calls from the show floor. Like wow. it was so quiet and empty that there were like lo- like you know, Dan and those guys recorded a podcast on the show floor. <laughs> what? Like that's how I didn't go empty last year. I it, didn't was. Know it was. That empty. Yeah, it was crazy. Like there was just this whole back area that used to be full of booths for all these different publishers. It was just gone. It was just empty. Like, just wide open space. You're like, wait a minute. Did we end up, did we accidentally walk out of the convention? Like, no, there's still a booth back there. I can sort of see it from here. It's just just crazy uh, last year's show. So, uh, you know, they had to do something. And, and I think inviting the public is probably the right move. But I, I worry, I, and I, I hope that they have done the work to make the show acceptable for the public. Because uh, if you think about, like, the number of kiosks for games that are out there and playable and all that sort of stuff... It's usually not a lot. So if you dump 15,000 people on that show floor, which that's how many tickets I believe that they were looking to sell. Oh, that sounds like a nightmare. Uh, then it, that sounds like a lot of people waiting in line to me. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that that's going to be a great experience, especially for what they charge, like 150 for early birds and 250 for for late birds, I guess. Is that for the whole week? Yeah, that's for the, well, that's for, it's for the, the three days of the show. Okay. And so you have people, you know, and I've seen people going like, ah, I got my E3 ticket. Can't wait to see the Microsoft press conference. And it's like, that's not how this works at all. So yeah, like press it, is right in the name. Yeah, it, it's it's like that's that's a, a separate day, a separate event, a separate invite list. Like your badge is probably not going to get, I don't, you know, I, don't, I guess I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure your badge is not going to get you into that Microsoft press conference on Sunday. So it, it's I think the expectations are all over the place and people have this sense of E3 as a as a wonderland of video games and I think it has been that in years past um but I just I I don't know like looking at the the layout of the show floor and stuff like that and realizing like oh, wait a minute do they have a smaller booth than they did last year that's weird because there's supposed to be more people there that would theoretically need 
more space to play games and line up. And so I, I don't know if they've got some secret other room that they're just not putting on their floor plans that just like, here's where the public E3 happens or, or what? Cause last year they did a thing, uh, that, that they kind of, they sold tickets or they gave away tickets to it was free. Um, and it was their first stab at it. And they, they came to it very late, very close to the actual show. And it showed because, you know, there were barely any games there and it was just like this weird outdoor thing that just didn't yeah. make any sense. So I think you give them, give enough time, they'll get it right. There's enough, uh, there's enough name recognition for the show that even if this year doesn't come together, uh, you know, the public's not going anywhere. I think that they'll, they'll definitely stick with it and they'll eventually get it right. I think it'll be fine. But I, my worry for this year is that it's going to be a lot of people with no place to go that are going to feel real burned. Yeah, a lot of E3, even as press sometimes when I went the first time, it it's, it's a lot of waiting in line, even if sometimes you have those appointments where you're directly in. Otherwise, yeah. there's a lot of lines. And I couldn't imagine adding that many people to the mix who will not immediately get those kind of behind closed doors demos. Uh, right. Do, yeah. Do you kind of have anything in mind in terms of what maybe the major storyline from this E3 will be? Because we don't have, you know, recently it's been like, oh, the Switch, or oh, they're going to talk about Scorpio, wherever we thought it was called at this time. There's no real console launch or console unveiling tied to this. It should just be games. I mean, we've also seen like virtual reality be a big push at certain ones. Right. 3D TVs for some reason kind of seem like <laughs> a storyline for a bit. Like, is there anything you're kind of looking for? Or do you think it's just going to be a whole bunch of video games? It's, uh, well, I think, yeah, we're, we're in that sweet spot. Like, if, if you look at the generations as they used to be, we are in that sweet spot right now where it's all about software. Uh, so, you know, Sony announced a ton of games last year and even some of the year before that that still haven't shipped. So they've got uh, a lot of like business around those games to finish up like release dates and hey where this stuff's playable now or, or whatever stuff like uh was it um like last of us part two or just like what is it was it yeah, that, days that days gone game. that's the zombie exactly, game. Yeah, yeah that one uh you know that thing they got that spider-man game like they, they've got a lot of they've written a lot of checks uh and and so i think that this will be them kind of showing the rest of that stuff and probably announcing a couple of games along the way um, but then there is that weird, you know, like normally, yeah, it would just be games. It would just be here, here. We, we're finally in the sweet spot of this cycle. We sold a lot of these consoles. So, uh, let's spread out a little bit and make some, you know, like this would be a good year for SingStar or something like that because there's a ton of PS4s out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's the type of wide, broad game that, that you do at that point. Um, but then you've got Microsoft kind of really trying to, change their business and kind of rewrite the narrative a little bit around these last few years of, of the xbox one and stuff and and kind of write the ship um in a, in a handful of different ways and, and so so i think that's the story is like what actually is scorpio in terms of price in terms of release date in terms of like how does that software actually look meaningfully better uh what's their vr story because they they've already said that that Scorpio will do VR. So, you know, are they, are they putting out a headset? Am I using a rift? Like, or will my existing headset work? Like they've got a lot of details around that sort of stuff that they probably should start getting out there. Um, and, but, but they also have to back it up with games. That's like, Hey, here, if you bought an Xbox one here, here's a good reason to maybe upgrade to this other thing. Or honestly, like they're also in this weird space where so much of their first party stuff comes to PC. Yeah. And you know, it, like we, we interviewed Phil Spencer last year about some of that stuff. And you know, you just really get the impression that it's like, Hey, you know, like it, it's a, it's a weird, 
it's a weirdly open approach that it, it, it that seems strange but the the longer we go with it the more i go actually it's probably this is seeming more and more like the right move of just like put it on the pc they don't care you, you don't want to buy an xbox don't buy an xbox but play the games on pc because that's going to be better than the xbox one experience that's if they're in theory you know there's, there's been some technical glitches uh along the way with some of those some of those games coming to pc or you know in the windows store or whatever but uh i think that that's kind of the the big thing i'm looking forward to is to see Microsoft tell its actual story around this hardware upgrade uh, and who they who they try to sell that to and and how many people want that versus just going like well I could spend the money on that or I could just go all the way and build a PC and you know get into Steam and 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 you know really just kind of take full control over uh this stuff and and not have to deal with all this console stuff all this closed platform stuff uh and and I think that that's that's an interesting change that is very unlike a console manufacturer to do. Cause it, like I said, it does have this weird connotation of just like, Hey, we don't care. Just play our games yeah. somewhere, wherever you want to play them. You want You want to use an old Xbox one. Perfect. Great. You want to buy this Scorpio and, and you know, cause you're, you don't, you don't feel comfortable with a PC. Great. You want to spend the money and, and go all the way and play it 4k and, and, and all this other stuff on, on a PC. Great. You can do that too. Uh, I think that that's an interesting approach that that I kind of am starting to appreciate, but it's rough around the edges right now, and I think that they need to kind of flesh some of that story out a little bit to so I can just get a sense of like how serious are they about this stuff? It's just so strange right now because, like you said, this should be the sweet spot for this generation of consoles, kind of like four years in where yeah. everyone knows how to use the hardware, a lot more people have it. You could start seeing these games that maybe technically look better uh than what we saw at launch but we're also in this weird era of console half steps with pro and like you mentioned scorpio i remember talking to lauren lanning right before pro had come out and he kind of likened consoles to iphones now where every year or every other year you're going to get a better version with similar compatibility and then maybe the next half step you drop the first version and now these two are the only two that work with compatibility it's it's this weird time where we've never really done anything like this like do you think will need a PlayStation 5 anytime in the near future? Like, could we see a PlayStation 4 Super Pro in 2018 instead of entirely new consoles? Like, do you think we're just going to keep kind of iterating and maintaining compatibility instead of just leaving everyone behind and saying, all right, here's the next new shiny box? Well, I, I think you'll get both. I, I think that it, it probably makes sense for them to iterate, uh, to continue to iterate and maintain that compatibility because, you know, everyone's kind of gone to... Uh, you know, PC parts in a lot of ways. And I think developers seem to like that because it just makes it a little easier to develop for. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of a known quantity. It's not the cell processor. It's not, you know, not this weird custom stuff in a lot of cases uh, or not as custom. Um, so I don't see a great reason to move off of that architecture unless they're going to go arm or something weird like that. So I think, you know, they'll eventually call something a PlayStation 5. But under the hood, it, it probably would end up being another step, hopefully a, a bigger step than between the base and pro PS4s. Yeah. Um, but but I, I see them doing both. I, I see them saying like, oh, by the way, this plays PlayStation 4 games. It's the PlayStation 5. And then the <laughs> PlayStation 5 Pro. And then the, But, you know, ultimately it, it is just this more iterative process as opposed to, hey, let's just start from scratch and, and, and really just 
let's build new chips because we can and, and and all this sort of stuff. I think Microsoft is is probably more than happy to go that route because, you know, they they've got Windows, they've got tech that they can leverage that they already have on the PC that they can kind of bring to a console and uh and all that stuff. And and so I don't you know, and, and I'm not an engineer, uh, you know, so so maybe there's something I'm missing, but I don't really see any great reason for either Sony or Microsoft to get off of this architecture. So with that in mind, it seems like the backwards compatibility would kind of just come along for the ride a little more naturally than maybe it has in the past. It does take work, but it's probably not as much work as it used to be. Yeah, I'm just so fascinated to see how it actually pans out, how far Scorpio goes. Like, is it really that much more powerful than a Pro? And when they release Scorpio, I'm assuming that pushes any sort of Xbox 2 or whatever the hell they're going to call it, the next one back farther because, you know, here's our new console. It's really powerful. Don't worry about the future. Like, maybe could we see a PlayStation 5 come a full year or two before the next Xbox because Scorpio's still going? Like, it's just the kind of the... I feel like everything's out of sync in an odd way where PS4 and Xbox One, you know, competing right next to each other that's coming right. out in the same year. Like, now I just have no idea what that's even going to look like in terms of the timetables for release windows and stuff like that. Uh, do you... Do you actually think there's a possibility of Scorpio exclusive games, or do you think they would never go that route? I think that they would be crazy to go that route this soon. Uh, okay. I think that it would make sense to maybe eventually get there, but that depends on how many they sell, right? I mean, it depends on... like There were a bunch of stories, like Sony must have made the rounds or something pre-E3 because a ton of interviews with uh, with Sean Layden and, uh, and Jim Ryan hit, like, today. Uh, and... Uh, they're out there saying that one in every five PlayStation 4 sales is a pro. Uh, huh. And so and, and they're like, hey, that's actually ahead of, of where we expected it to be, which I actually believe kind of haven't heard some stuff about, you know, prior to the pro launch, kind of some of the stuff that they were thinking that it would do. Like, yeah, that, that's that's better than they they probably thought. But it does mean that you've got, you know the overwhelming majority of your audience on that base level PS4 and you're still selling more of those base level PS4s. So they're not going to be able to ditch that thing anytime soon. If anything, like, you know, the we're seeing games come out that don't have any meaningful upgrades for pro uh, owners, uh, which is frustrating. Um, so I think with Scorpio, it's a slightly different story because they are going a lot further and they're behind. Um, so this is, you know, this is them trying to really kind of, turn that thing around and and kind of take control you know they 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 took a beating at launch because they their messaging about drm and all the other stuff was a was a mess even though they had corrected it before launch it was still confusing to people and also you know just the the narrative about about it being a less powerful console uh was pretty widespread too so this is their chance to go over the top of sony and say like now we have the most powerful console on the planet and it's like okay well now is sony going to go right back to the lab and and turn around next year and totally obsolete all of their pro owners by having like an even but more power. Like they can't do it. So it creates this power really matter. Exactly. That much right. Anymore? Yeah. Yeah. It's well, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a TV standard transition, right? So by virtue of us going from 1080 to 4k, suddenly there is a little more of a reason to have some muscle, uh, behind, uh, your, your console. Um, but it's not a, you know, the adoption rate is not so huge that they need to do that immediately. But I think that in some ways, and, and you know, of course, they're, they're going to say this. But, you know, we, when we spoke with Phil Spencer last year, you know, he seemed way less concerned about Sony's position in the market. 
and just seemed more focused on like we're going to try to make a great experience for our customers and and hopefully that you know and then i think the unwritten second part of that is like and hopefully that'll be enough to start swaying things uh in our direction and so i think the story they're telling is at least setting the stage for that i don't know how well it'll do for them but you know they are in a position where they're going to put out this thing it's it's easily going to be more powerful than the pro uh, and then Sony is in a position where they can't immediately react to that other than just like, you know, a price drop on the pro or something like that if they if they wanted to start moving in that direction. So, yeah, I think we're, we'll naturally and, and maybe it'll sync up again someday or something like that. But we are naturally going to see this kind of staggered upgrade cycle between these two competitors where, you know, Sony will eventually put out something that's more powerful than the Scorpio and and say like, oh, well, now we got this. And then you've got VR headsets in the middle of all this. Don't forget where. Like, we're still on all these first-gen VR headsets. At what point do they step up and go, like, we would really appreciate it if you spent another $600 on a, <laughs> you know, and start doing that to their existing owners. Like, that stuff's kind of a mess. Uh, but in a way that I, I think is, like, they've, they've come about it naturally. It's a, it's a natural mess. It's all just so weird. I just have, I'm so fascinated by, that's, like, my main thing at E3 right now is just trying to figure out what the hell Scorpio actually is going to be and, like, I guess I haven't really heard a good, like, this is why this matters. Like, this is why you need this, other than kind of like what you said, almost relaunching the marketing effort and the the concept behind the Xbox of like, all right, we're kind of, we're not fully pressing reset, but we're going to pivot in a way that hopefully we can, you know, steal some of that favor back over to our side. Uh, And we are just about a week away from E3. So to kind of wrap all this up, um, what can people expect from Giant Bomb's E3 coverage? I know your, your E3 after shows are things that I watched like religiously so i'm looking forward to that and oh thanks yeah kind of in general i mean what do you have store for the rest of the year that you can talk about is there like a big live live show on the horizon anything like that that you can talk about not currently uh the 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 big live live show is something we'll certainly revisit uh i think we just i want to do it bigger than we've done it before and that takes a big big live 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 show basically you know last one we did we did in our office building and i think we reached the limit of (laughs) what we can do in that building because we had some stuff get shut down uh that we wanted to do um we originally were trying to actually put a wrestling ring in uh out in front of the building and oh my god some people were not okay with that. And there was a lot of <laughs> annoying conversations that was just like, man, what are we even doing? So, so long story short, if we do that again, I think it'll be offsite so that we can have an audience so that we can do what we actually want to do. Um, and that takes time. So it's, it's not something that, you know, I'm not going get, to get back from E3 and immediately start thinking about that sort of thing. That's, that's probably a 2018 thing at this point. Um, but for E3, uh, that's, uh, you know, we, we've, been doing this night show for a lot of years now and and it's a lot of fun it's it's really it's great to just kind of sit down and talk about stuff we actually get a lot of emails pitches from from people going like hey so uh we want to just because i think everyone assumes that every live show is about gameplay demos and so it's a lot of like we want to bring our game by and do this demo and i just write back and but that's not this show yeah do not bring your video game to our i I would assume almost everyone uh, i we i had um Rich Smith, our art director, who, again, here they lie, and also mm. did the art direction for Call of Duty 4. Um, and I remember talking to them before we went on the couch with you and being like, by the way, like this is a, a weird different thing where it's not like, let's talk about our game or let's talk about, you know, like let's show a demo. It's very conversational almost in a let's talk about the industry and just how the show is going for you. It's an entirely different thing. 
Yeah, and, and and we like it that way. I think, you know, there are a lot of places to get those demos that kind of stick to the bullet points and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, I, I want to try to offer something different for people that, that want to get a deeper look at kind of, you know, what's going on behind those demos and what's going on, you know, what's really going on in video games. So, you know, we've been booking a lot of guests for that. We'll be doing that uh, Tuesday through Thursday uh, during the show. But then also uh, we are talking over the press conferences uh, which we've been doing for a few years now, um, which is a lot of fun. I, sometimes I do miss kind of going out and seeing everybody and shaking hands and sitting in the audience and kind of getting a sense of like the the actual excitement in the room, as fake as yeah. it sometimes is. Um, but yeah, we, we've uh, we've been doing that for a little bit now, and people seem to really like that. So we're going to kind of uh, chime in uh, over those press conferences as they happen starting, gosh, I guess it's Saturday this year with EA. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, right. So it is now a full week. I'm gone Friday to Friday. So that's that's a that's a a, a much longer uh a much longer time away than it than it used to be. But but yeah, it's uh it'll be interesting. I I think you know it's it's always this way that the the meat of the show happens in those press conferences. But I think this year more than ever because a lot of that Scorpio stuff and also you know even though Nintendo doesn't have a traditional press conference anymore, like they're in a position where they kind of need to announce some more software yep. uh you know hopefully it's not just them showing mario uh which i whatever i i desperately want to see more of mario and, and then play some of that i think it looks looks uh really interesting um but i i really want to see what's next up from them um both in terms of just like hey are you gonna have some some new big things and then you know are they gonna kind of do more deluxe style things like mario kart i i I'm just guessing, but you know, some of this stuff was was said to be leaked prior to the Switch launch. But they have to announce Smash Brothers, right? Like they have to be, so. yeah, they have to be bringing Smash Brothers plus like three characters or whatever over to Switch. I, I just I don't understand. I don't see how they could get out of the show without doing that. That seems like bare minimum to me. But but I don't know. I've been wrong before with that stuff, so we'll see. Yeah, I feel like at this point you could slip so many like actual Wii U games, like up-res them, add a couple of things, and like the majority of the audience wouldn't even notice that it was a Wii U game because no one bought that thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. like, again, like Mario Kart, where it sold like you know however many over a million units just because people are so hungry for new content and they do not remember the Wii U existed. Right. So yeah, yeah you and and they're getting behind those games that. in a big way, like from marketing, yeah. like you know, like you when was it? Like people went to Target and they're like, we've decorated all the shopping carts to look like Mario Kart. And I was looking at that going like, this game's years old. What the yeah, hell? I was like, like this, oh, <laughs> this oh wait, no. So long ago. Like, no one remembers the Wii U. Like, no one bought one. I, f- I keep forgetting that, like, in a mainstream sense, the Wii U was was not uh, as much as I mean, I still have a Wii U hooked up. I still play Super Mario Maker. I don't care. But no one bought a Wii U. So, yeah, they can they can get away with that a few more times. I think there's some some good. They should bring Bayonetta 2 over. They it's really a good game. Should. Yeah. Again, right, like right now, that would sell so much because people just want... Like, I canceled my Switch pre-order just because it was like, wait, I'm going to play one game on this. Like, why wouldn't I just <laughs> wait until actually something comes out? So, yeah, at this point, you could put anything out and people are just going to gravitate to it. Totally. Uh, either way, I'm just fascinated by what comes out of this show. Uh, I am not able to go to E3 this year, but I will absolutely be watching it through. I guess your eyes. I will probably be doing a lot of giant bomb, like listening to you guys talk over the press conferences, watching your live shows. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. Anytime. I, I've been a premium subscriber since the jump, so it's been cool to you know, talk to all you guys. And uh, again, anytime I ever talk to anyone from Giant Bomb, your community responds in an amazing way. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> just all these messages and emails and people you know, being super excited to listen to it. So thank you so much, and good luck at this 
crazy now week long E3 you're doing. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's definitely an endurance challenge. I'm 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 on the road for sure. On the road to E3. Yeah, it's your own personal endurance run. Maybe. Right. Yeah, uh, that's thanks right. again. Yeah, <laughs> Thank no problem. Thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.